Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk right here on Biz News Radio with me, Felicity Duncan, and with Alec Hug. Huleman, Alec, Huleman, Huleman, Huleman. I have been looking over some of the numbers uh, just this morning and, you know, I hadn't uh, checked in on it in a while and it's actually just a shocking story. I'm looking here, the, the share price is down 90% since it was unbundled in 2007, unbundled from Tongat Hewlett. And uh, the market cap has collapsed from about 8.6 billion in 2007 down to 740 million. And now that's during a period also of significant inflation, right? So the, the real loss in some sense has been even worse. Um, and it seems to just come down to terrible, terrible management. Really bad management, even though, of course, the managers uh, have been rewarding themselves very generously with uh, perks and money and bonuses and whatnot. Um, just the, the country, the company rather, has just been run into the ground. It's an extraordinary story, isn't it? And also uh, re-emphasizing the problems that the whole culture of Tongat has inflicted over the past, uh, well, particularly the last 10 years. Chris Logan has been a outspoken critic on this, and um, we had him on Rational Radio this week where he unpacked some of the information there. He was on the on our radio show a few weeks ago talking about Tongart, and now he's gone from Tongart onto Huleman. But there are a number of these companies that have been so badly managed and somehow have been given a free pass by the media, by well, not by investment analysts, because they simply vote with their feet and and sell and and leave uh, but definitely they haven't been highlighted or the problems that haven't been highlighted in the way that they should have been and Huleman is one of these it's a critically important company in peter maritzburg the capital of kwazulu natal uh, it is a company that should be doing incredibly well the rand has fallen in the last 12 years since it was unbundled the prices of uh, steel uh, or aluminium rather which it sells into the US market uh, have has risen uh, it just has been badly managed it hasn't gone the route that all other companies in its field has gone have gone uh, using a lot of scrap metal uh, recycling scrap uh, scrap aluminium and using that to sell forward it's just been bad management and that's what Chris Logan has highlighted and that's what the market has actually been telling us for the last 10 years, as you correctly say, it's more than 90% decline in the share price since the unbundling. A real story of, of uh, just poor management. Chris points out that the executive committee, for instance, has ballooned from seven people to 13 people. When you don't know what to do, you tend to just create another committee within the corporate field. And then it's easy enough to pass on the blame to others. It's a bad story and one that hopefully shareholders are going to look at and say this far and no further and start fixing it. Fortunately for Huleman shareholders, um, about the only upside there is that they do not have the debt that Tongart has got. Tongart is effectively owned by the banks now, but its previous subsidiary Huleman uh, isn't owned by the bank. It doesn't have too much debt, but the shareholders 
have really taken a lot of punishment on this one. Yeah, it's a good reminder that uh, poor management is really by no means restricted to the public sector. You know, there's always so much focus on how badly, rightly so, of course, a lot of focus on how badly managed things like ESCOM have been. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not a uniquely public sector problem. Look at Huleman. I think it's been almost worse managed in some ways than ESCOM because uh, it's it's um, really directly sapping money out of the pockets of shareholders. Um, so it's a good a good reminder that that uh, bad eggs can get in anywhere. Uh, and I think that the story at EOH is another similarly good reminder that corruption is a, also by no means exclusively a public sector problem. Now, the EOH story uh, goes dates back to um, about 2014, I believe, the transactions that have come to light as being problematic were 2014 to 2017, and EOH has been doing a lot to repair the damage done there. Um, but a, a multi, multi, well, a 1.2 billion rand uh, scandal there, a series of transactions that have implicated the, the top management, implicated people on the board, um, a lot of money stolen from the company, and it's having some serious repercussions for current staff and for current management. Well, it's quite interesting because the rescuers of EOH, and you have to put it in that context, are the same people who've gone in and acquired uh, a controlling interest or uh, not a controlling interest, 100% of Tiso Blackstar. So these are uh, it's, it's um, guys who've done very well in the African continent who are now looking to buy companies that are under stress and fix them. But I don't think they realized quite how deep the Malays went at EOH. Uh, I know they're still sticking with it and they'll be uh, looking to to fix it up in time, they brought in Steve von Koller, who's uh, ex-Barclays Capital, and uh, well, the ex-CEO of Barclays Capital, and he spent a couple of years at MTN. He is a corporate banker, and he would be the right person to fix this, both from well, from two, uh, two aspects. The one aspect is to start offloading a lot of those acquisitions that were made, which perhaps were not good acquisitions. And secondly, um, is to bring in the correct governance. But it's EOH is a story of a company that was highly entrepreneurial. Uh, it, it funded the um, its acquisition. Well, it funded its share price or fueled its share price by making more acquisitions at a lower cost than uh, the uh, it could issue the shares at. Uh, it was a little bit like what Dimension Data did in the 1990s. A very similar story here where. Uh, EOH was had a charismatic chief executive in Asher Asher Bobot. Uh, he then had a very high share price that they pushed um, quite aggressively, and then used those shares to buy other companies at lower PEs than the sky high uh, PE of their shares. And a company called Three Six One, Saad Jacobs, picked up on this and started reporting on it and started going short on EOH shares a few years ago. Where the corruption began at EOH, one doesn't know how far back it goes, but PwC forensic auditors have, as you say, correctly identified that it was at least five years ago and that there was quite a lot of bad stuff that happened there. But it could go further back than that. The important thing about EOH, though, is the share price did collapse uh, from where it previously was. It now has new controlling shareholders. It has a new chief executive, and it's got a chance of uh, of regaining uh, it, I doubt if it can regain its old share price, but it might regain some of the old credibility that it had in the past. But spot on, 
uh, there's a lot of uh, whenever you see companies that are going that are rising too fast too far stop and reassess stop and look at it because often uh, there have been some cracks that have been papered over and those cracks tend to become chasms because in business things don't happen overnight you don't it's very rare that you get an overnight success story that has got any sustainability to it business takes time people uh, need to, it's it's like a tree if your root is deep and has uh, been created over many years then that tree will be stable if suddenly you you put a, a huge tree above the ground without any roots well when the wind comes along as it always does that'll fall over indeed and uh, a salutary reminder that also corruption flourishes when both government and companies are willing to engage in in bad transactions and willing to play bribes and whatnot. You know, you can't really have one without the other almost. And uh, clearly the rot in terms of corruption goes quite deep in South African institutions. But there's also good, good, good and encouraging signs in the fact that so much is now being uncovered and being punished, being publicized, and uh, efforts being made to regain and recoup the money that was taken and that was lost. Now, another development on the public corruption front this week has to do with um, Cyril Ramaphosa and the allegations um, around uh, the uh, campaign payment from Bosasa. And we've seen the public protector um, Friday really um, going after Cyril. Uh, and she, she's ruled that he violated the Constitution and Executive Ethics Code. Now, I know you have some strong opinions on this story, and I'd like to hear what you, uh, what you have to say on this one. Yeah, Felicity, the first thing that you can say is, I mean, really do me a favor. The guy who was in office in the past took an effective, and the effective number is a billion rand. And I'll tell you why it's effective a billion rand for Nkantla, because the money that he took to upgrade Nkantla was funded over a 20-year bond, because that's what happens when you're running a deficit in a, in a government. And if you take all the interest payments that specifically went to pay for Nkantla, you're talking about a billion rand. So that's put that one side. Unfortunately, what you can't do is say, hang on, but this guy is a completely different uh, president to the president we had in the past. We've got to now assess uh, the, the, the current president on his own merits. Um, so, so here are the facts of the matter. Ramaphosa's re-election campaign uh, received 500,000 rand as a donation from uh, the Bosasa uh, uh, scoundrels. When he was asked about this in Parliament, because somebody knew, uh, one of his enemies knew about it, he he didn't he didn't know that they had made the 500,000 rand uh, contribution. He thought that they were referring to his son Andile, who had dealt with Bosasa in some transaction in East Africa. So Ramaphosa answered on that basis. He then went back, did his research, found out uh, that there was indeed a 500,000 rand um, uh, contribution to his campaign. And then he asked his team, um, I guess he would have given them some quite strong words, A, why did you accept it? But B, to please not uh, accept the money, give it back in the same way as the ANC in the Western Cape gave back Iqbal Survey's million rand that he contributed to them because they presumably felt it wasn't from the right source. Now the public protector, who's a zuptoid through and through, who's incredibly incompetent, as we've seen over many 
instances that she has uh, attacked. She's now not being deviated. She's continuing to go after Ramaphosa. And the, the, the real tragedy here is because she's the public protector and because she follows in the footsteps of a, a, an, an incredible public protector in Tuli Madonsela, um, who does have international uh, renown and did her job incredibly well to get rid of and expose a lot of the corruption in South Africa, some media outlets are using the, if you like, uh, uh, reflected glory of Madoncella and using the office uh, of the public protector, which has now been desperately contaminated, uh, as um, as having credibility, which it doesn't. So all of this is the uh, antibodies of the corrupt who are being attacked by uh, the Ramaphosa campaign. He's got new people in the National Prosecuting Authority who are reputable and uh, forthright and focused uh, in uh, uh, Shamila Baloy, Bahoy and uh, her uh, deputy, Hermione Cronier. You can expect that they are getting very, very close uh, to the problem areas. At SARS, there has been a reinstallation of uh, an, an investigative team there to look at counterfeit cigarettes who are uh, people who have been uh, funding some political parties and uh, and clearly some other miscreants as well. So it's what's happened here is that the forces for good, if you like, are getting very, very, very close to the uh, problems or to the, to the corrupt people, and then there's a kickback from the corrupt side. It happened in Brazil with Operation Car Wash, but the consequence in Brazil, it's almost like the caravan moves on, the dogs will bark. Over there, you've got the equivalent from a U.S. sense of having the president, the leader of the House, and the leader of the Senate sitting in jail today, along with another three dozen of their cohorts. Um, Lula da Silva, who was the president of Brazil, one of the most popular presidents in its history, is serving a 12-year jail sentence. But you can be sure that Lula also tried uh, his level best and stirred up quite a lot of, uh, of antagonism amongst his supporters in the time when he was under attack. And it's not surprising to see the same thing happening now with Zuma. Well, that's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, one is available on business.com up in the premium section. You can sign up for premium. It's just five pounds a month. And that gives you access to all our great content and all the great content on the Wall Street Journal.